is from the 51st Psalm. You know, often we only read or preach from or think about this text during the Lenten season, a season of penitence, a season of deep reflection. But obviously, it's a passage of Scripture, a Bible chapter for all seasons. And today, we're going to explore how Christ gives victory over shame. And I want to read, uh, beginning in verse 1 of Psalm 51, I invite you to follow along prayerfully. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you alone, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So that you are justified in your sentence and blameless when you pass judgment. Indeed, I was born guilty, a sinner when my mother conceived me. You desire truth in the inward being. Therefore, teach me wisdom in my secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and put a new and right spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and sustain in me a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from bloodshed, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your deliverance. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. For you have no delight in sacrifice. If I were to give a burnt offering, you would not be pleased. The sacrifice acceptable to God is a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. The word of God for the people of God. Amen. Thanks be to So it was a couple of years ago, uh, a Sunday afternoon in July, late afternoon, uh, I was, uh, we'd been somewhere, my wife Janet, my mother-in-law Louise, and myself, and we were coming back in town and driving through the downtown area, and uh, my mother-in-law Louise had asked a question about one historic building that we had been by, and I was attempting to tell her a little bit about that, and I looked up in my rearview mirror and there were these red lights flashing. And uh, I finally got my wits about me and pulled over, uh, basically in front of First United Methodist uh, Church on Monroe Street, and uh, two police cars, I mean, my goodness, I, I thought, whoa, I'm in trouble. And uh, I rolled down the window, and the police officer looked at my identification, and my driver's license, and asked if I knew what I had done, and I said, no, I don't. He said, well, you ran through a... a a flashing red light back there, and, and you didn't even slow down, and I, you know, busted. I, I didn't realize I'd done it. But I want to remind you about when it happened and where it happened. Sunday afternoon, near our church, as our youth were being unloaded for youth choir practice, and as their parents dropped them off and drove by and gawked, 
You know how you gawk? You can't help but look when somebody got stopped by police. You want to, is there any blood? You know what? Is there something juicy going on here? I just felt totally humiliated. And my first thought was, they're going to tell Rod. And in order to keep it a secret, I'm going to have to mow his lawn all summer, bring him coffee every day for a month. I decided I just will go down and tell him myself as soon as I spring this joint, as soon as I get out of here, right? Well, you know, that embarrassing situation and that violation uh, may not be as big and dramatic as the account that David was referencing in this famous psalm, but at the same time, uh, there are parallels and the principles still apply. You know, uh, David's beautiful psalm, this prayer of confession and repentance, is so famous because it strikes a nerve in all of us about sin and shame. David committed adultery with Bathsheba. And then David wanted her for himself, and so as king, he arranged that her husband would be at the front of battle, and he even ordered that all of the rest of the troops would back up in the heat of battle so that Bathsheba's husband would die in battle, and he did. And then David lied and tried to cover all of it up. Sin upon sin upon sin. And finally, when confronted, he he confessed this beautiful prayer of confession. As I said, the consequences of some sins are just bigger than others, and certainly the, the lives that he ripped apart through his choices and his disobedience uh, of far greater magnitude than somebody going through an intersection 20 miles an hour on a Sunday afternoon in downtown Jefferson City, but the principles are very similar. Uh, so let's think about some of them. Here's the first one. It's very simply that we do dumb things. We do dumb things. Uh, it's called disobedience, making wrong choices. There's just no way around it. We do really stupid things. I forgot to tell you one piece of this little story. The light I ran was right in front of the police station. <laughs> I never told you I was bright, right? I, you know, if you're, gonna, if you're gonna run a red light, Right in front of the police station. That's really dumb. And how many of us have done dumb things? Or how many parents here have had that talk with a child who's been caught in some violation? And you ask the most pointless question in the world. Why did you do that? And the answer is, oh, I don't know. And then the other pointless question is, what were you thinking? And the answer is, I wasn't thinking, right? Or we wouldn't be having this conversation. We do dumb things. The famous writer Ernest Hemingway was once asked, how does a person go bankrupt? And he said, well, two ways, gradually and then suddenly. <laughs> He's right. It's the same with sin. David didn't just commit a sin. There was a gradual slide. Uh, there was this slide that made him believe that he was above the law that he was not accountable to anybody, that whatever he wanted he could have. Uh, then there was that, that gradual slide into fantasizing and lusting 
imagine scenario, imagining scenarios where he would have his pleasure satisfied. And then it was sudden. It's never just sudden. It's gradually, then it's suddenly. And there are three words used in the 51st chapter of, Psalm, of the Psalms. Three different words are used for iniquity, and they're not just synonyms. They are different Hebrew words. David in verse 1 said, blot out my transgression. That Hebrew word is translated very accurately in the English because it means to cross a boundary. It means to step over a line. It means to go where we should not go. The second word he uses in verse 2, he says, uh, for, uh, and, and wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Iniquity was a Hebrew word that meant taking something good and twisting it and making it something bad. It's taking something beautiful and dragging it through the mud and making it something very harmful. And then the third word is simply translated sin, and it means to miss the mark. It means to, to pull back on the bow, and you let the arrow fly, but you miss the target. You miss the bullseye. And our lives are like that. We may even desire to do the right thing, but we don't have enough oomph. We don't have it in us. We transgress. We step over lines. We take good things God has given us. We twist them, and we miss the mark. We do dumb things. We make poor choices. It's called disobedience. Here's the second thing. Our sin, our poor choices, have consequences. I ran a red light. I got pulled over. David sinned. God held him accountable. And there were other tragic circumstances that really rippled on through the rest of his biological life because of the choices he made. Sin always has consequences. Now, David was stupid. He may have been rich. He may have been the king. He may have been really smart in lots of ways, but he was really stupid. And we are, too, when we think that sin does not have consequences, because it does. It always does. It's called the law of the harvest. Galatians chapter 6, verse 7, the apostle Paul said, whatever you sow, that's what you're going to harvest. And we always harvest after we sow. It doesn't happen the same day. Sin has consequences. Always has, always will. Nobody's immune. We fool ourselves thinking that we're going to be immune, but we're not. And that leads to the third thing that I experienced and that David did in a much greater degree, and that is that our sinful choices bring us shame because other people see what we do. And there is that sense of embarrassment and shame. I mean, uh, you haven't lived till you've been sitting there with two police cars behind the lights flashing and people you know, driving by in broad daylight. You know, and there's a reason policemen keep their lights flashing. You know that, right? It's so that everybody can see. And it's a cautionary tale for others. But it's, it's embarrassing. It's, ama it's amazing the, the sense of embarrassment that comes. And David was king, highly visible, Everyone could see him. Everyone looked up to him. And his sin brought horrible shame because it was such an embarrassment that he'd been such a fool. And here's what happens when we sin and create uh, that, that sense of shame. It feels like the whole world's watching us all the time. Even when the whole world is not watching, 
it feels like the whole world's watching. And that's the, that's the heart of shame. It, it holds us captive, causes us to struggle. But there's good news. Here's the fourth thing about that kind of journey, and that is that there is mercy. There is mercy. In my particular instance, uh, I got off with a warning. I know you were just sitting there really worried, right? <laughs> Your hearts were breaking for me, I know. I got off with a warning. Now, I'm convinced that one of the reasons that I got off with a warning is that I, I truly was sorry, and I was truly embarrassed. And I think one of the reasons that I got off with a, with a warning is because of some things I did not say. I did not say the sun was in my eyes. I did not say I thought flashing red meant stopping is optional. I did not say this stupid city needs to change its traffic system. And I did not say it's my car, I can do whatever I want, get out of my face. But that's what some people do toward God. It's my life. I'll do what I want. Get out of my face. I basically said, I blew it, officer. I'm sorry. I broke the law. David, to his everlasting credit, did not, he, he finally reached the point where he was not making any excuses. He said, I have sinned. And the force of the Hebrew grammar in that verse 4 is, it's emphatic. I only I sinned. It's not on you, God. It's not on other people. I take responsibility. I sinned. It's called confession. It's the first step in repentance. And he took responsibility. Now, I have two parts of a take-home assignment for us this week. You have homework. It's to get you in practice for going back to school. Oh, I heard a sigh. <laughs> Here's the first part of the homework. Let's tell ourselves the truth this week. This week, let's tell ourselves the truth about our sin, about our wrong choices, about our mistakes, about our brokenness. No more trying to hide because, you know, if we tell ourselves the truth, we won't be able to lie to anyone else. But it begins by telling ourselves the truth. Lewis Newman, a Jewish scholar, has said that repentance is all about choosing truth over deception. David found that true, didn't he? Repentance is all about choosing truth over deception. And Lewis Newman goes on and says something very interesting. He said, there's a paradox about sin and about repentance. He said, if we run from our sin, we're actually more in bondage to it. And we can tell we're more in bondage to it because each choice dictates the next choice we have to make and the choice after that. In other words, the more you lie, the more you have to cover it up. So that our bondage grows worse as we run from our sin. The irony, he says, is that only when we turn around and run toward our sin 
are we ever free? Isn't that ironic? It's only when we turn around and run toward our sin that we are ever freed from it. And on an, a Sunday close to our Independence Day, that's a good theme for us to remember that true freedom is freedom from guilt, freedom from sin, freedom from shame. And we achieve that liberation not by running away from our sins, but by running toward them, and that's called repentance, that kind of honesty. So this week, let's tell ourselves the truth. And then here's the other part of your homework. This week, let's practice grace-based living and not shame-based living. How many of us live in a shame-based kind of life? We make decisions based on the avoidance of shame or the bondage that we feel to shame. But to live life free from shame and to live a life based in grace, not in shame. I want you to notice the, the words that David used in this beautiful prayer. He talked about abundant mercy and multiplied tenderness. And he uses a phrase in verse 7 and some other places about God cleansing the heart, washing whiter than snow. Verse 8, blotting out iniquities. And so what he's talking about is not covering sin, but actually scrubbing it out and erasing it. And think about this. If David, living 1,000 years before Christ could talk about having sins blotted out. How much more can we, on this side of the cross, experience and enjoy that wonderful liberation from sin and shame because of what Jesus Christ has done for us, dying in our place? If David could claim it, how much more can we, on this side of Calvary, as Christ absorbed all of our sin? and all of our shame. And then maybe the best part of the whole chapter, verses 10 and following, Create in me a clean heart, O God. Put a new and right spirit within me. Don't cast me away from your presence. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. Let me ask you something. How long has it been since your spiritual life has had that new car smell. You know that new car smell? It's just fresh. It tells you that you're starting over. There's just something about it. How long has it been since your spiritual life has had that new car smell? That sense of freshness. That sense of adventure. That sense of romance that sense of a fresh start. And it's available to us any time and all the time because Jesus Christ gives us victory over sin and over shame. He's the one who sets us free.